BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, March 27th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the pioneers of modern AI win the Turing Award. Apple still hasn't fixed its keyboard problem. India shot down a satellite in space. And Microsoft puts the kibosh on April Fool's jokes. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Three absolute titans of artificial intelligence. Jeffrey Hinton, Jan LeCun, and Yashua Bengio have been announced as the winners of the $1 million Turing Award for their work developing neural networks. If you're not familiar with the Turing Award, it was introduced in 1966, is administered by the Association for Computing Machinery, and is often called the Nobel Prize of Computing. If you're not familiar with the professors or their work on deep neural networks, quoting from the New York Times, over the past decade, the big idea nurtured by these researchers has reinvented the way technology is built, accelerating the development of face recognition services, talking digital assistants, warehouse robots, and self-driving cars. Dr. Hinton is now at Google, and Dr. LeCun works for Facebook. Dr. Bengio has inked deals with IBM and Microsoft. What we have seen is nothing short of a paradigm shift in the science said Oren Etzanzi, the chief executive officer of the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence in Seattle and a prominent voice in the AI community. History turned their way, and I am in awe. Loosely modeled on the web of neurons in the human brain, a neural network is a complex mathematical system that can learn discrete tasks by analyzing vast amounts of data. By analyzing thousands of old phone calls, for example, it can learn to recognize spoken words. This allows many artificial intelligence technologies to progress at a rate that was not possible in the past. Rather than coding behavior into systems by hand, one logical rule at a time, computer scientists can build technology that learns behavior largely on its own, end quote. So basically, these gentlemen set up the modern world as it is rapidly becoming. If you've read the book The Master Algorithm, then you'll know that theirs is actually an inspiring story. By the 80s and 90s in the field of AI research, the idea of creating software that mimics the structures of the brain that tries to do computing the way neurons in our brains do it, that had largely been discredited and abandoned. Doctors Hinton, LeCun, and Bengio doubled down on this method of AI research and essentially paved the way for modern AI and machine learning as we know it today, quoting Wired. Hinton co-authored a seminal 1986 paper on a learning algorithm called backpropagation. That algorithm, known as backprop, is at the heart of deep learning today, but back then the technology wouldn't quite come together. There was a blackout period between the mid-90s and the mid-2000s where essentially nobody but a few crazy people like us were working on neural nets, says LeCun. His contributions included convnets, invented neural network designs well-suited to images. 
He proved the concept by creating check-reading software for ATMs at Bell Labs. Bengio pioneered methods to apply deep learning to sequences such as speech and understanding text. But the wider world only caught on to deep learning early in this decade after researchers figured out how to harness the power of graphics processors or GPUs. One crucial moment took place in 2012 when Hinton, then at the University of Toronto, and two grad students surprisingly won an annual contest for software that identifies objects and photos. Their triumph left the field's favored methods in the dust, correctly sorting more than 100,000 photos into 1,000 categories within five guesses with 85% accuracy, more than 10 percentage points better than the runner-up. Google acquired a startup founded by the trio early in 2013, and Hinton has worked for the company ever since. Facebook hired Lecun later that year, end quote. Google Podcasts is apparently auto-transcribing podcast episodes and using those transcripts as metadata to help listeners search for shows even if they don't know the show or the episode title or even when it was published, quoting from Android Police. With the help of a tipster, we were able to find that the company has been logging those transcripts into the page source on the Google Podcasts web portal. The transcripts appear in a section of the page source for the episode listing. The transcript, which covers all of the show, follows even more script for the episode description on the same line. Not every show on Google Podcasts has the transcription, but if you happen to put Corbin Dabbing Port, a totally appropriate replacement for Corbin Davenport's real name, into the app search engine, you'll see episode 312 of the Android Police podcast right at the top of the listings, end quote. So I'm a bit of two minds on this. Quoting Alex Hearn on Twitter, I think I have a take which will either be roundly ignored or get me nuked from orbit. Stuff like this is why the European Copyright Directive exists. This is A, obviously cool and useful, but also B, something which would be obviously infringing if done by, say, me. That adds to the perception that current laws as written and applied create an unequal playing field, end quote. Now, I personally am... By no means a fan of the EU copyright directive, but that is a fair point. However, at the same time, as a podcast fan, I do think this is amazing. As Tom Maxwell tweeted, this could be super helpful for when I'm trying to find a specific discussion I heard but don't remember the podcast. Google transcribes them for search now, end quote. Either way, want to have some fun? Let's test this out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come up with a string of eight random words that I think we can safely assume have never been uttered in this order on any podcast in history. The words will be transom, mint, sponsor, hobby, secrecy, interact, evacuate, gadgetry. So I'm going to say them again in a second, hopefully clear enough for Google to transcribe. Then let's wait a couple days and see if all of you can find this episode in search. I'll put the words in the show notes. I guess you'll have to search in the exact order of the words if this is going to work at all. Okay, here we go. Transom, mint, sponsor, hobby, secrecy, interact, evacuate, gadgetry. Okay, search away. Get in touch over Twitter, email, or the subreddit. If you are successful in finding this phrase and... 
I'll share your findings with the rest of the listeners. Also on the Google tip, Google has officially launched AMP for email on Gmail and says AMP support is coming for other major email providers like Yahoo Mail, Outlook, and Mail.ru. AMP, of course, is Google's dynamic web-like standard for static documents. Static documents like, say, email messages, quoting TechCrunch. With AMP for email, those messages become interactive. That means you'll be able to RSVP to an event right from the message, fill out a questionnaire, browse through a store's inventory, or respond to a comment, all without leaving your web-based email client. Some of the companies that already support this new format are Booking.com, Despigar, Doodle, Equid, Freshworks, Next, Oyo Rooms, Pinterest, and Redbus. If you regularly get emails from these companies, then chances are you'll receive an interactive email from them in the coming weeks. For developers, supporting this format should be fairly easy, especially if they have prior experience with building AMP pages. The format supports many popular AMP markup features, including carousels, forms, and lists. It's also worth noting that these messages still include standard HTML markup as a fallback for email clients that don't support AMP, end quote. In a blog post, Akash Sane, a product manager for Gmail, wrote, quote, Over the past decade, our web experiences have changed enormously evolving from static, flat content to interactive apps. Yet email has largely stayed the same with static messages that eventually go out of date or are merely a springboard to accomplish a more complex task. If you want to take action, you usually have to click on a link, open a new tab, and visit another website. Well, no more, because, quoting again from Sani, dynamic emails will begin rolling out to Gmail users on the web today. Mobile support is coming soon. If you're a G Suite customer, you will be able to enable dynamic email for your organization in the admin console in the next few days, end quote. Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free, whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com slash men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. We're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot literally cannot live or at least work without it. One Password. One Password combines industry-leading security with award-winning design to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. 
Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. One password secures every sign-in to save you time and money, any device, any time. One password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. One password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using one password what a decade ago? Join me and over a hundred thousand businesses on board the one password bandwagon. Cause right now my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word dot com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride. So this is a segment about a piece that's not really news, but it was what everyone was talking about this morning. So I kind of feel the need to at least mention it. Everyone was chattering today about Joanna Stern's piece in the Wall Street Journal about how three generations later, Apple still hasn't fixed its MacBook keyboard problem. Read the piece because it is actually really clever how she wrote it. But also, again, There's not much news here, really. It's just the same bizarre fact that keyboards were not a technology that was broken, and then Apple went and sacrificed them on the altar of thin and light, and now there's no way I'm ever going to upgrade my MacBook Pro as long as those stupid butterfly keys exist. I'll go to a Surface if I have to, which actually I'm tempted to do anyway. But look, Apple... Keys need travel. You might abhor the idea that computers still need physical components. But here we are. Quoting Joanna's conclusion to the piece, This is the experience after three attempts at this keyboard design. It's time to stop prioritizing thinness over usability. It's time to set the butterfly keyboard free. Let it fly far, far away. End quote. Some stories now relating to things we've discussed on weekend episodes recently, not for funsies, but legitimately because they all came across my transom today, serendipitously. First, the FTC announced yesterday that it has launched a broad inquiry into the privacy practices of Internet service providers. The FTC is ordering seven major ISPs, including AT&T, T-Mobile, Xfinity, and Verizon, to provide info about how they handle and maybe sell consumer data. Quote, the FTC is initiating this study to better understand Internet service providers' privacy practices in light of the evolution of telecommunications companies into vertically integrated platforms that also provide advertising-supported content, the agency said in a press release. Under current law, the FTC has the ability to enforce against unfair and deceptive practices involving Internet service providers, end quote. And the New York Police Department has apparently developed Patternizer, an AI-based system to track crimes and spot patterns using police data. Patternizer has apparently been used actively since 2016. Quoting Governing.com, It's difficult to identify patterns that happen across precinct boundaries or across boroughs, says Evan Levine, NYPD's Assistant Commissioner of Data Analytics. Patternizer automates much of that process. 
The algorithm scours all reports within NYPD's database looking at certain aspects such as method of entry, weapons used, and the distance between incidents, and then ranks them with a similarity score. A human data analyst then determines which complaints should be grouped together and presents those to detectives to help winnow their investigations. On average, more than 600 complaints per week are run through Patternizer. The program is not designed to track certain crimes, including rapes and homicides. In the short term, the department is using the technology to track petty larcenies. The NYPD used 10 years of manually collected historical crime data to develop Patternizer and teach it to detect patterns. In 2017, the department hired 100 civilian analysts to use the software. While the technology was developed in-house, the software is not proprietary, and because the NYPD published the algorithm, other police departments could take the information we've laid out and build their own tailored version of Patternizer, says Levine, end quote. And the country of India says it has shot down a satellite from space. Why is this a big deal? Well, it's technically a pretty tricky thing to do, and only a small club of countries have ever been capable of even doing it. Quoting the MIT Technology Review, India is only the fourth country to have successfully shot down a satellite. The U.S., Russia, and China have all done so in the past. The U.S. and Russia both did so in the 1980s, and China conducted its first successful test in 2007. China's 2007 test was condemned as irresponsible when it happened as it created a massive cloud of debris of almost 3,000 pieces that were big enough to be tracked by NASA. Many thousands more were too small to see. Even small pieces of debris can be hazardous for other satellites or the International Space Station. We do not yet know what has happened to the remnants of India's satellite, end quote. And finally today, I think I've mentioned before that I'm not a huge fan of the whole April Fool's thing that the whole tech industry seems to love so dearly every single year. I blame Google for institutionalizing this in the early 2000s, but actually it was a thing even before that. Call me a curmudgeon if you want, but the whole tradition is more annoying than funny. Well, Microsoft's marketing chief, Chris Capicella, agrees with me. In an internal memo to Microsoft employees, Capocella warned them away from doing any April Fool's pranks or hoaxes next week. Quoting The Verge, Capocella explains that data tells us these stunts have limited positive impact and can actually result in unwanted news cycles. He encourages all teams inside Microsoft not to do any public-facing April Fool's Day stunts. Quote, I appreciate that people may have devoted time and resources to these activities, but I believe we have more to lose than gain by attempting to be funny on this one day, says Capocella, end quote. As Tony Rahm tweeted, give this man a promotion to CEO of every company everywhere. You have my solemn pledge never to do an April Fool's gag on this podcast which is either setting you up to trick you on Monday or setting you up for the long con where I do it eventually someday. But actually, no, I'm dead serious about this. I hate the April Fool's stuff. Though, do listen to the Saturday bonus episode because Federico Vitici has an April Fool's theory surrounding Apple that I'd actually appreciate. 
so do look for that this weekend.